Hey, I want to welcome our Gables campus, our Kindle campus. I want to greet all of those who are joining us at Church Online. We greet you from wherever you may be joining us, across the country and around the world. And I want to greet you personally today in the spirit of greatness. Do you want to be great? I know I want to be great. I think all of us want to be great. In my young adulthood years, I wanted to be great at doing things. I wanted to be a great athlete. I wanted to be a great musician. I wanted to be a great student. But now in my adulthood years, my idea of greatness has evolved from doing into being. Now I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father. I want to be a great pastor. How do you want to be great? I want to be known as a man of great integrity and character. But you know, greatness isn't easy. It certainly is a difficult thing to achieve. In fact, just a few days ago, my family and I, we returned from the most magical place on earth, from the magic kingdom, to celebrate my, all three of my kids' birthdays, uh, which are in this nine-day span of time right now. And in the days leading up to the day that we celebrated my daughter's birthday at the Magic Kingdom, she gently reminded us every day, my wife and me, that she wanted a balloon. And so we said, you know what, we, we can get you a balloon. We can do this for you. And so we gave it to her, and all day she walked around with it. She was so proud of it. She was so happy. In fact, she nicknamed her balloon, Balloony. And so all day she said, I love my Balloony. I'm so grateful for my balloonie. I just, I'm so, I just want to walk around and enjoy my day with my balloonie. And so as we're walking out, I tied balloonie to the stroller so that it wouldn't fly away. And we, we walk all the way to the van, which was about a, a half-hour journey from the exit of the Magic Kingdom. If you've ever been there, you know it's really, it's, it's a long process to leave and to get to your car, so we're getting there. And I put all of our bags into the trunk, and the very last thing, the stroller, I put this away right before we close all the doors and drive away. And right as I do, pop goes Balloony off her string, and she floats away into the sky. My daughter saw this, and immediately she screams, Balloony! As she watches her balloon just fade away. And instantly, because this was my fault, I felt this, this rage begin to develop deep in the core of my, of my being. You know, dads know this feeling. You have this like molten lava core in, in your gut that just, that just begins to rage up. And you can feel the words just kind of crawling up your throat. And you want to explode out. And you, I wanted to break the stroller. But then I, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ryan, gather yourself. You, you, you want to be a great husband. You want to be a great father, right? Like, I, I remember like, all of this playing out in my mind over the course of just a few seconds. And, and I, I managed by the grace of God to contain myself. And I thought, okay, okay, Ryan, this isn't about you. This isn't about you. This is about your daughter. Give your daughter your best. You need to give your daughter your best. Greatness is hard. Being a great dad, a great mom, being a, a, great, a great husband, a great wife, it's hard to do. It's not easy. Greatness is hard, my friends, but often I think that hard is what makes it so good. That's what makes it great. In fact, Inc. Magazine, one of my favorite business leadership magazines, published an article about achieving greatness, stating this, being great is not about ego or selfishness. Being great is not about you. The path to greatness consists of having a strong and genuine desire, a good purpose, and also having good company along the way. That's La Familia. Greatness is not about you, nor is it meant to be done alone. Greatness requires instead 
growing emotional self-awareness and emotional health, which, believe it or not, begins first and foremost in through familia. <laughs> Thus, if you want to be great, then your first step toward living out your calling toward greatness begins at home. Greatness actually begins at home. Would you believe that? I know for some of you that may be an extremely difficult step for you to take. Because here's the truth about all of us. Regardless of your parental or your relational status, how you received emotional health during your childhood years will determine how you give emotional health during your adulthood years, particularly with your family. Some of you right now are enjoying the benefits of healthy and safe emotional relationships because your parents formed healthy and safe emotional and physical attachments with you during your childhood years. While others of you, on the other hand, have been hurt or have hurt others because you were hurt, either inadvertently or intentionally by those who were supposed to love you during your childhood years. Friends, if this describes you, then I want you to hear the good news right from the outset. The good news of Jesus, which says that your past hurts and present insecurities don't have to define you. The good news of Jesus announced a way through your hurts into freedom. You are not merely the sum of your circumstances. You are not the sum of your hurts. You are not the sum of even the ways in which you are hurting yourself or others right now. Even that doesn't have to define you. You've been created in the image of your creator and given a pathway to emotional health. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. A few weeks ago, my sister-in-law found her four-year-old son sitting quietly by himself. And when she saw this, she asked him, what are you doing? What are you doing sitting here by yourself? And he said to her, Mommy, I'm talking to my brain. <laughs> Today, this is a safe place for you to talk to your brain and to talk to your heart by listening to how Jesus taught about greatness through the pathway of emotional health. Written by one of Jesus' original disciples, Matthew recorded a moment in time when the disciples came to Jesus and asked him a rather interesting question. Matthew recorded this. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine hearing that kind of question from those closest to Jesus? I mean, perhaps the kind of question you might expect, I suppose, on the one hand, from a group of teenage and 20-something adolescent disciples who were on, let's just say, the very early uh, growing edge of their emotional maturity. No offense to my young adults here or watching with us online. But like children in grown men's bodies, they asked Jesus one of the most childish, self-centered, egotistical-driven questions in all of the Gospels. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The irony of this question is that by the time these guys had been with Jesus for more than two years by this time, and their question 
actually contradicted so much of what they had heard Jesus teach, such as what Matthew recorded in the moment, in, in these moments leading up to their question. M- moments like what they experienced in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Or in Matthew 7, when Jesus taught, do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the laws and the prophets. Or in Matthew 9, when Jesus taught, for I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, like the disciples are thinking of themselves right now, but those who know they are sinners. Or in Matthew 10, when Jesus taught one of his most challenging teachings, saying this, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, then you will find it. Upon hearing this question, do you think Jesus had every right to feel frustrated (laughs) by the lack of emotional insight from his closest followers? Of course he did. I know I would have felt frustrated by it. Imagine mentoring a young person or even parenting your child along a particular issue for a long stretch of time. and And then they come to you and they ask you a question that completely contradicts everything that you've been trying to teach them. It's like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, have you not been getting what I've been trying to teach you? I mean, I think Jesus had every right to feel frustrated by hearing this question. But even still, Jesus showed compassion and grace to these men. For instead of rebuking them for asking such a childish question, instead Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And said to these disciples, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. True greatness, Jesus tells us, is found in the exact opposite direction of your ego and pride. In fact, Jesus calls your ego and pride a sin. Here Jesus called out their sinful, childish ways and instead challenged them to live childlike. How offensive. How offensive to call grown men to become like little children. I can imagine for, for for these young guys, for these young band of brothers, you know, with bit and energy and fervor and excitement about, about life and, and what could come ahead of them, that I can imagine how offensive this must have felt to them. It, it feels offensive to me, even reading it. During the first century, most viewed children as less than a human being. In fact, the first century Koine Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, affirms this by how people spoke about children. Just like today's Spanish language, for instance. Koine Greek assigned masculine and feminine forms to nouns. The Greek word for child, however, this word technon, is a neutered noun, which means that it it didn't possess either a masculine or feminine form. Thus, the only way that a Koine Greek-speaking individual could refer to a child was an it, like a thing or an animal. Society as a whole gave no dignity to children, and many places in our society still don't give dignity to children. Little girls 
especially suffered in the ancient world. And many of them still suffer in our world today. Girls often cost the family more money to raise than boys, since boys could work and earn additional income. In fact, if parents didn't want to raise a daughter, then commonplace practice allowed for them to leave their infant girl just sitting in a field left to perish to the elements. Or, perhaps even worse than that, commonplace practice allowed for parents to sell their little girl, their, their little child girl, into prostitution for additional income. Can you imagine that? It's, it's within this cultural stew within these cultural norms that Jesus called a little child to himself. Perhaps a little girl, even. And stood her among those men in order to confront their assumptions about greatness. And instead, show these men, show these disciples how embracing childlike characteristics ultimately point to true greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Characteristics such as seeing the world with clear eyes, trusting with the full heart, being ready to listen, being open to love and being loved, having an eagerness to serve and learn, living with creativity and imagination, captivated by wonder, being marked by growth. Imitate these characteristics, Jesus says. Don't become a child, but embody the characteristics of a child. Which means learning how to understand and feel your world, your life, your God, and even yourself. The emotions that, that you are experiencing right now. Learning how to feel those emotions through the other end of the telescope where you look small, but God looks really, really big. <laughs> now, I understand how foolish this sounds. Trust me, I, I, I understand how foolish this sounds in, in our society and in our culture to look at yourself through the other end of the telescope where you appear really, really small. In fact, Paul wrote in the beginning of his first letter to the church in Corinth how, the, how this message of Jesus was foolishness to the Greeks. It was foolish then, and it's still foolish now. Jesus' calling to greatness and his kingdom ethics are upside down to how our culture pursues greatness within our little personal kingdoms, right? The standards of our work, the standards of our education, and even the standards of our society in general inherently drive us toward achieving self-centered greatness, even if it means hurting someone else to achieve it. This isn't just a 21st century Miami issue or a global issue. Rather, Jesus' own disciples were thinking about greatness along these very same lines. And their childish ego and pride not only caused them to sin, but ultimately it placed them in jeopardy of missing the kingdom of heaven entirely. You know, my three-year-old boy knows all about ego and selfishness. Living out of your ego and your pride is a childish pursuit. Make no mistake about it. Don't miss that. It's an easy game to play. Living for the kingdom of heaven, however, calls us to emotional understanding. It calls us to live with emotional self-awareness and strive toward health. Living for the kingdom of heaven beckons us to lose our life in order to find it. Living for the kingdom of heaven is challenging 
But Jesus promises contentment and peace to all of those who pursue it. The challenge of living for the kingdom of heaven is part of what makes it great. Friends, greatness mattered to Jesus. Greatness mattered. The very next sentence that Jesus says affirms this. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my, on my behalf is ultimately welcoming me. Jesus saw through the motivation behind the disciples' question, but answered it nonetheless. And you know why? Because Jesus loved them. And you know what Jesus still does? Jesus demonstrates his love for us by seeing beyond our sinful inclinations to help us live most fully into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't shame his closest followers. And Jesus didn't, doesn't shame you. Instead, he led them. He led them. Jesus modeled and continues to model for us emotional health and leadership maturity. Always in our lives, Jesus meets us in our place of sin and pain and offers us a way through it into his safety and security, into his forgiveness and salvation. Now let me admit here, I, I must admit this, that even as I teach about this way of greatness, I, I, I feel this visceral response pushing back against me, like pushing on my chest, wanting to hold on to my control and strive for my own personal greatness. I, I feel that. I want you to know that. I, I want these things just as much as the next man, just as much as the next person striving for his control or her control. And the messaging of our culture affirms this. And yet every time I choose myself, and you know this too, every time you choose your dis yourself, I have discovered, just like you, that once again, those deep-seated emotions of pride, however they raise up for you, they always, they always, always, they always distort my, my perspective on the world and of those closest to me. And ultimately, they always destroy all of the good in my life. You know this too. It destroys all of the good in your life. As difficult and backwards as it feels to look at yourself through the other end of the telescope, I want to ask you, how might your life actually change if you filtered your pursuits through healthy emotions, through a healthy understanding of yourself, such as these emotions that I want to read to you. I want you to hear this list of positive emotions, and I want you to feel them, and I want you to remember them, and let them identify with places in your life, emotions such as humility, empathy, affection, contentment. What if you lived your life with contentment, with courage, with hope? What if you let satisfaction drive your decisions. Joy, pleasure, excitement, delight, trust. What if you let love guide your way? How might your relationships change and your friendships evolve if you chose to work through your emotional, the emotional pain of your past and the hurts that others made towards you or the hurts that you are giving right now? What if you worked through that instead of living that in order to discover emotional health and ultimately discover the kingdom of God? 
here and now? How might your career path begin to align with your gifts and abilities? How might the way you talk to others change, including your spouse, your children, your colleagues, or even strangers? How might the way you rest and recreate be different? How might your life change if you filtered out the childish pursuits of your life and chose instead to embody childlike characteristics? Now, I know that many of you may be agreeing with this in theory and thinking, yeah, I, I want to live like that. I want to do that. that. That makes sense. But you may be wondering, but how in the world do I actually do this? Do I live this way? How, how do I do this when I roll up my sleeves on Monday morning and I, I face bottom lines and I face deadlines and I face management issues, I face personnel matters, I face travel schedules, I face my kids melting down at the grocery store. I, I face all the challenges of my week. How do I actually live with emotional health? Well, tomorrow morning, what if you walked into the office or what if you encountered your children by first talking to your brain and listening to your heart and you stayed in tune with how you felt and you responded to your emotions in the moment rather than being driven by that molten lava core that's inside all of us just wanting to explode out of our mouth with our words, right? What if you lived your life listening to your brain and your heart? You know, my three-year-old, he erupts from his mouth with anger and stomps his foot and says words that he later regrets. Any child can do that. Any person can live that way. But an emotionally healthy man or woman seeking the kingdom of heaven, however, listens first and seeks first to understand. An emotionally healthy man or woman seeking the kingdom of heaven feels more than just the stereotypical mad, sad, or glad. But instead acknowledges the wide array of emotions that live within all of us and seeks to understand them. Peter Schizaro author of the Emotionally Healthy Church, said this, with one breath God created, God made us human. Yet somehow today we slice out the emotional portion of who we are, deeming it suspect, irrelevant, and of secondary importance. Nowhere, however, nowhere does a good biblical theology support such a division. God made you as a whole human being. Instead, an emotionally healthy man or woman recognizes a wide array of emotions and feels all of them all the way through to completion in order to move on from whatever situation arose those emotions. An emotionally healthy man or woman seeking the kingdom of heaven empathizes with another human being and feels what that other person feels even in disagreement. An emotionally healthy man or woman seeking the kingdom of heaven leads others with intention and compassion, regardless of your place of employment or your hierarchical authority, people always follow emotionally healthy and secure leaders who show compassion, always, period. A friend of mine who once served in high-level high management, high-level senior management at a billion-dollar tech company in San Francisco said that what separated his company from other tech companies in San Francisco was the fact that in their staff, among their staff, culture, they valued compassion. Compassion is what set them apart. If they can do it, then so can you. Tomorrow morning, I'm challenging you to think differently about your emotional health. It isn't a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness to feel the emotions that you were feeling inside and work through them and to acknowledge them and to strive to discover what, what you are feeling. It, in fact, is your greatest strength. 
in the workplace. It's your greatest strength at home. It's even your greatest strength with how you recreate and get to know yourself and build healthy friendships. An emotionally healthy man or woman seeking the kingdom of heaven seeks to serve others because this emotional health wasn't meant to just stay here. It was meant to be given away. It was meant to help others. This past week, we honored one of my heroes, Martin Luther King Jr., who once said this, not everybody can be famous, but everybody can be great. Everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. An emotionally healthy man or woman seeking the kingdom of heaven sees others for how their creator God sees them and seeks to give dignity and restore where there is brokenness. In the verses that follow, Jesus gave his harshest warnings against those who harm children and the most vulnerable and neglected and forgotten in our society. They matter to God. And as Jesus followers, they also need to matter to us. Often children suffer along with the forgotten and the vulnerable and the marginalized in our society because we miss seeing them for not being able to see past our own lives. Throughout the witness of God's word to us, we know that God despises that. And so do the people of God. You need to despise that. Don't miss the vulnerable in our society because you are chasing down your own greatness. God sees them and feels compassion and mercy toward them. Those are emotional words. Our God is an emotional God. Our God is an up close and feeling God. So close, in fact, that God sees the faces of their angels. Can you believe that? Jesus said it in verse 10. Elsewhere, the psalmist wrote, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord feels those who are hurting. If you are hurting today, please understand, please trust that God sees you. Our Heavenly Father sees, feels, and responds. Our Heavenly Father exemplifies emotional health and does so always in regard for the hurting, for the lost. Let me ask you a question. At what point in your life did unhealthy, disintegrating emotions become your new normal? At what point did that happen for you? Whatever, whatever comes to mind for you, whatever picture, whatever moment, whatever slice of your life comes to mind for you, I want to challenge you to hold it, even for just a few moments. I know we want to we push it off. We want to try to forget those moments. But I want to encourage you just to hold it and let yourself, even for just a, a few seconds, feel whatever comes to mind. Because it is precisely in that moment where Jesus wants to meet you and where Jesus' salvation wants to come to you, where Jesus wants to apply his healing balm upon you and lead you from whatever you may be experiencing into a place of resolve and emotional health. What, what emotions are you feeling in this moment? Are you feeling emotions such as indifference because of what happened to you? Worry? Fear? Do you feel anger? Grief? Do you feel frustration? Disappointment? 
cruelty? Do you feel pride? Do you feel hate? I want you to hear those words. And I even want you to feel those words, those emotional words, and remember them so that you can become familiar with them and then let Jesus meet you in the moment and bring about the healthy emotional words that I read just a few moments ago. When did those become your normal? At the close of this conversation, what started with the disciples asking about greatness and living into this adolescent, uh, young adult, uh, emotional craziness, what started with this, with, with this question of who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, ultimately closed with Jesus telling his most well-known story about something lost. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. God desires for you not to perish, but to live fully with health, fully alive. All of those who chase down greatness with their own pride and ego are lost. They're lost, Jesus tells us. This parable teaches us many attributes about God and and how the character of God calls us to lead with emotional health and and how God desires for us to live with emotional health in that God's love is an individual love. It seeks seeks out the one and God sees the one. God's love is a patient love. It's not a karma that's going to come back around and smack you. It's going to be a love that endures forever. God's love is a seeking love. It won't ever stop chasing after you. God's love is a rejoicing love. When God finds you, you won't receive punishment, but instead you're going to receive a party and God's going to celebrate you. God's love is a protecting love. Once you come back to God, God's going to keep you and put the other evils of the world at bay that want to harm you. Our our Heavenly Father sees, feels, and responds. Emotionally healthy families also see, feel, and respond to one another with honor, integrity, and character of heart. Emotionally healthy families live with interest over indifference. They live with peace over worry. They live with hope over fear with gratitude over anger, with joy over grief, with patience over frustration. They live with contentment over disappointment, regardless of the situations or circumstances that befall the family. They live with sympathy toward one another rather than cruelty. They live with humility, not thinking about themselves at all, but instead thinking about each other rather than the pride of the self. And ultimately they live with love over hate. Emotionally healthy families begin right here. As you choose and seek the kingdom of heaven over your own greatness, leadership begins right here. As you choose your emotional health and seek the kingdom of heaven. Emotionally healthy families courageously acknowledge their place of hurt and allow the healing balm of Christ to bring restoration to their heart and soul. Emotionally healthy families see their children through the lens of their Heavenly Father. Emotionally healthy families see the loss of our society and don't keep health here or health within their family, but instead they share it and they seek to restore dignity. Emotionally healthy families recognize that all of us are lost 
and in need of God's saving grace. Your emotional health, my friend, is not impossible, nor is it suspect or irrelevant to who you are. Your emotional health isn't a sign of your weakness. Indeed, your emotional health is your God-given leadership mandate at home, at work, and in your relationships. I pray that as we seek emotional health with our families and our, among our Christ journey, La Familia, may we discover together that our greatest witness as a church, as the village of the Holy Spirit for our families, will forever be how we love God and others as we love ourselves. And that begins with emotional health. Father, we thank you. We thank you that when we were hurting, when we were on our own, when we were living with pride and selfishness and with cruelty, that you didn't let us stay there. You you didn't let us be defined by whatever hurts from our past or negative emotions that we felt, but instead you provided a way forward for us. You, you, you gave us healing when we didn't deserve it. You gave us hope when there seemed to be no hope. And Father, we thank you. Father, I thank you for personally doing this in my life. When I had lost my way and felt like there was no hope and no direction, Father, you met me precisely right there and you led me into healing. And so Father, I pray for all of those who are experiencing hurt right now. I pray that you meet them there and that you define them by calling them by their name and by calling them good. Father, I pray for our families. I, I pray for all, all that families are enduring right now. Father, I pray that, that you come upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you draw us together uniquely within our, our own family, but also that you draw us together as the wider church family. And that we come to find our place, our rest, our love in you. Father, for all of those who are going to work on Monday morning, rolling up their sleeves, getting out of business, Father, I pray that you give them the courage to lead from a place of emotional health, which means that we may need to do some work on the front end. We may need to go back and revisit some places of pain from our past and find a new language, find a new way, and let your healing balm come upon our lives. Father, I pray for compassion toward us. And Father, for all of those who may be discovering you for the very first time today, I wanna invite them to pray this message alongside of me now. Father, I, I'm, I'm recognizing now that for so long I've, I really have sought to go my own way. I've, I've, I've been pursuing my own greatness. I've been pursuing my own life and, and just my, my own personal kingdom. And, and, and Father, I, I, I've seen that it's gotten me nowhere. Or I've seen that even if I've been successful by society standards, that deep down inside, I am still feeling so empty and so lost. 
but today I'm turning from my own way. And I'm going to you. I'm choosing you today. And Father, I trust that as I do so, that your forgiveness will come upon me, your grace will come upon me, your healing spirit will come upon me and set my life anew this day. If you pray that prayer with me, then I want to invite you to simply click on the orange banner underneath this video. Let us know. We want to come alongside of you and we want to pray for you and join you on the first day of your new journey. Father, for all of those who are beginning anew, for all of those within the sound of my voice who are turning from their own personal kingdoms to your kingdom, Father, to your greatness. Father, I pray that you meet them with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness, with joy that you are rejoicing over all of us this day as we begin our lives and continue our journey with you in your name. Amen.